For good or bad, so much of our culture, especially the first third of our lives, is about passing the test. It goes back for me when uh, I was in elementary school. I remember having to study for those spelling tests that were every Friday. The words were written on the board and they were intimidating to me. I still am a horrible speller. Uh, Test became a bigger part of our lives as we worked through middle and high school. We had to try at least to study for those tests. And then we get to college and the exams are a huge deal. And in some of the classes we had, um, you couldn't pass the class no matter what your grade was until, unless you had a passing grade on the exam. Engineers have to pass the, P, the FE and the PE their boards and tests and exams to become a nurse, to become a doctor, to become a nursing home administrator. Those in the financial industry take exams like the Series 7 and the Series 11. Tests are part and parcel to the fabric of who we are as a culture and a people. Even preachers, even preachers like me had to pass a test to become a preacher. And there may be someone in this room who got an email at three in the morning that said that he had passed his last professional exam and that person may have jumped up and down on his bed in the middle of the night to celebrate. And uh, it's not me, it's someone in the room. It really happened. Um, Have you ever thought that Jesus' life and ministry was... A test. He came to accomplish his father's will. He came to seek and to save the lost. He descended from heaven on a divine rescue mission. And in order for him to pay the ransom for our sins, to purchase our redemption, Jesus Christ had to pass the test. You see, we had another representative. We had someone else that was acting and speaking for us, and he failed the test of God's obedience. Royally, His name was Adam. And through his sin, he plunged the world into sin. But we can't blame the struggles in our lives simply on Adam because each of us have individually failed the test as well. We've sinned against God in our thoughts and our words and our deeds. Jesus Christ, the Bible says, is the second Adam. He is... Our representative, he passed the test of obedience to God's law, not with a 70%. He didn't pass because there was a curve on the test. He passed with flying colors. Jesus Christ was perfect. And part of the beauty and glory of Christianity is that what Christ did, his obedient life can be applied, can be credited to us and to our account if we receive it by faith. And Luke chapter 4 verses 1 through 15 is one more chapter in God's divine love story. One more chapter of how Jesus Christ kept the law perfectly for us. It's called the active obedience of Christ. That's what theologians call it. And what I want us to think about this morning is how Jesus passed the test and why Jesus passed the test. So let's ask And think about those two questions. How did Jesus Christ pass the test? This question really does matter. What if you went to see the doctor 
And then you realize that he had cheated his whole way through medical school. You'd want to find a different doctor, wouldn't you? What if you got on the airplane and you heard that the pilot didn't really have a pilot's license. He just paid someone $1,000 for that uniform and the, and, the, and the ID so he could get through. You would, you would get off of that plane as quickly as possible. The how matters. How Jesus Christ passed the test matters for us. It matters for our lives. It matters for Christianity here and now today. So how did Jesus Christ pass the test? First of all, he passed the test as a man. One of the most glorious and mind-blowing realities of Christianity is that Jesus Christ was God and man in one person. He was God in human form. The Bible says the Word became flesh. Theologians call this the hypostatic union. And before you check out and say, okay, the preacher's talking about theology again, stick with me. The fact that Jesus Christ passed the test of obedience to God's law as a human being has everything to do with us in our lives now. He had to keep the law as one of us in order to keep the law for us. There's this tendency for us to think that Jesus obeyed the law and he fought off temptation and he went to the cross and, and he did that simply by leaning on the, the divine part of his nature. When I was a kid, I used to think that he just kind of kicked it into divine overdrive when he went through hard things and he floated through life. But the reality of Christianity is quite different from that. The message of the Bible is opposite. Jesus kept the law. He passed the test as a man, as one of us. That's part of what qualified him to stand in our place He's not only did it for us, he did what we couldn't do. He did what we haven't done as one of us. So it's important for us to remember that. He passed the test as a man. The, the Bible tells us here that he passed the test as a man filled with the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Here is another mind-blowing Reality: Jesus Christ was God and man in one person, yet this passage tells us that he was filled, he was full of the Holy Spirit. Same principle is hard to understand. It's been expressed already in Luke's gospel, talking about Jesus when he was being raised up. It says that Jesus increased in wisdom and stature before God and man. These are allusions to the fact that God's Spirit was with Jesus. It was strengthening Him, growing Him in wisdom and favor. And then last week we saw it demonstrated in, in a, a wonderful way. The Holy Spirit descended on Jesus at His baptism. And the Father said, You're my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Jesus Christ was filled with the Holy Spirit. And we know from the rest of the Bible that the Spirit's purpose and role is to guide and comfort and to encourage us and challenge us in the things of God. Now the Holy Spirit dwells in believers. And though it may be hard for us to comprehend, Jesus Christ passed the test of God's obedience by the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, this text tells us that the Spirit 
led him into the wilderness. A better translation would actually be the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. This is part of God's plan. This is part of the divine rescue mission. The Holy Spirit pushed Jesus into this place so he could uh, take our place and stand in our place. He came for this very reason, not simply as an example, not simply as a good teacher. He entered the battlefield of sin and temptation for us. He came to pass the test as a man, as a man filled with the Holy Spirit. How did Jesus do it? He did it as a man filled with the Holy Spirit who was under siege. He passed the test as a man filled with the Holy Spirit who was under siege. Think about that image in military terms. Being under siege means that the enemy is bringing everything they've got. So there's a a fort or a position that some soldiers are holding and their enemy is is coming at them with all that they have. And that's what's happening here in Luke chapter 4. This passage is a snapshot of the attack that Satan brings on Jesus, trying to tempt him to sin against God. And this wasn't just the normal, everyday, run-of-the-mill temptation. Jesus had to obey every day of his life. But this is the pinnacle of that temptation. Notice where it takes place. It takes place in the wilderness. And there's a contrast there because Adam and Eve, remember, they lived in the garden. There were no creature comforts here. Um, He hadn't eaten in 40 days. Essentially, Satan is... Giving Jesus all that he's got. This is his full court press temptation. And it says in verse 2 that he was being tempted by the devil all along the way. And those temptations culminated in the three that are listed here. He was exhausted, weak, hungry, alone in the wilderness. What do we say if we've missed one meal? I'm literally starving. No, you're literally not. Um, Jesus really was. He was. And it's in that context that he passed the test. It's the same reason that soldiers and sailors and Marines, they train under lack of sleep and difficult situations because they need to be ready to execute orders and, and fulfill their duty in a war zone. Jesus passed the test under siege, not in a palace, not in the lap of luxury. He was field-tested and battle-proven. He passed the test under siege. How did he do it? He was a man filled by the Holy Spirit under siege. He did it also by resisting temptation. Let's take a few minutes to look at the temptations that are outlined here. And do you remember this verse from 1 John chapter 2? For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Those sins highlighted in 1 John actually uh, are the general categories of sin that are reflected here in the temptations that Jesus faced. The first one is this. Why don't you turn that stone into bread? And this is a temptation 
to sin in the lust of the flesh. And the temptation comes with these introductory words. If you're really the Son of God, isn't that part of the way that Satan still tempts us today? Think about the questions, the the, the subtle doubt that comes into our minds. If God really loved you, would he allow this to happen? If you were really a Christian, do you think you'd be tempted in this way? If people really understood what you're going through, if you really are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. And this temptation has to do with the common needs and and wants of humanity. It plays on the part of us that says, I need, I deserve, I want physical satisfaction and gratification. So think about things, sins like this, drug and alcohol abuse, overeating, undereating, pornography, sexual sin, cutting. Those are all sins that have to do with the self-indulgence of the flesh. This was part of the temptation that Jesus faced. And he faced it head on. He faced it in a place of weakness and hunger. He resisted the temptation to turn those stones into bread and to simply gratify the flesh because he remembered, he recalled, he believed another more important reality. The man shall not live by bread alone. He passed the test. And then second... uh, Satan says, I'll give you all authority, verses 5 through 8. This is lust of the eyes. We, we move quickly to the next test. We don't know exactly what happens, but in some, somehow Satan shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world in a moment. And he promises all the authority and glory. And this temptation gets at the real and powerful pull for us to think that our significance that our worth, that our identity can be expressed in power or money or stuff or glory or things. And it's really fitting that worship is mentioned here because when we try to find our satisfaction and fulfillment in things, worship takes place. It's called idolatry. Satan said, I'll give you all these things if you worship me. With the lust of the eyes and thinking that our satisfaction and fulfillment can be found in things, there's always a twist. There's always a trick. Sin promises the world, doesn't it? And it always leaves us holding the back. Jesus resisted temptation, seeing through the fool's gold of what was offered to him by Satan, remembering The basic principle that you shall worship the Lord and serve Him only. The third temptation that he faced was throw yourself down on the rocks. And this was tempting him in the area of pride of life. Tries to raise this question again. If you're the Son of God, just like he raised questions in the garden, remember? Did God really say... He plays on the power and the authority that he knew Jesus had. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down. And he even used the Bible to try to manipulate Jesus. The angels will take care of you. You can't even strike, your foot can't even strike a rock. 
It may seem foreign to us, but this temptation actually strikes at the heart of so much of what we're tempted by and about. Here are some of the ways that maybe it touches our lives. Have you ever thought that you're invincible? No, you probably wouldn't say it out loud. But have you thought, I'll never get caught. No one will ever know. It'll never happen to me. I'm too smart, too shrewd. The rules don't apply to me. That's the pride of life. Sometimes the pride of life is way more subtle when we say things like this. I'm fine. I'm fine. I got this. No, we we don't need any help. we'll, We'll figure it out. I got this under control. Sometimes the most important and courageous words that we can say to another person are these. I need help. I can't stop. I feel trapped. I don't know what to do. That's actually a great place for God to start or reset where God can work in our lives. Or, or this type of thinking is also the pride of life. You know what? I'm a Christian. I know God's going to forgive me. It doesn't really matter if I just dabble in sin a little bit. Jesus fought temptation by resisting, and he remembered, and he recalled, and he believed a different reality, and he spoke. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. How did Jesus pass the test as a man filled with the Holy Spirit under siege by resisting temptation? And the last part of that equation of how he did it was he used God's word in God's way. The last bit is important for us because even Satan used the Bible. You know that people have used the Bible to justify all sorts of stuff throughout the history of the world. And a lot of times we do it ourselves. You know, I think God's really telling me to do this. One of the principles that we see from Jesus here is that he used God's word in God's way. The way that he used God's word is consistent with the message of the entire Bible. He used God's word in God's way. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but Jesus Christ read the Old Testament. He learned it. He prayed it. He sung it. He learned it as a man filled with the Holy Spirit, even though it's a book about him, even though as God he wrote that book, he learned the scriptures. This is part of the mystery of the incarnation. He didn't just download it because he was the God-man. The word of God had been worked into his heart and into his life in such a way that when he was tempted and when he was squeezed and when he was under pressure, what came out? God's word in God's way. You think about this. I mean, we have 
We have God's word and we, we need it, but we need it more than just words on a page or words on an app on your phone, which is, is good and important, but we need God's word inside of us. It needs to be filtered through our lives and our hearts and our emotions and our minds so that when we're squeezed, God's word comes out in God's way. This is how Jesus passed the test. Second thing I want us to see uh, quickly is why did Jesus pass the test? This is a philosophical question. Why? Why did he do this? Why is Luke 4 in the Bible? It can be summed up in two words. For us. Why did Jesus pass the test? He did it for us. He did it because he loves us. First and foremost, Jesus' life, his birth, his ministry, his healings, the preaching, the miracles, the cross, the empty tomb. It's all because he loves us. He passed the test. He did his father's will. He obeyed the law that we've broken time and time again because he loves us. It's not because we've earned it or we deserve it. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Luke 4 is in the Bible. Jesus is part of God's story because God loves us. And his perfect obedience and sacrificial death are the only way for lost sheep and prodigal children like us to be reconciled to the Father. Do you struggle to believe that God loves you? Do you wonder at times if God's love, if Jesus' love for you really matters or if it makes a difference in your life? It may sound odd to you, but the temptation of Jesus from Luke 4 is one more snapshot of the reality that God loves us so much that he will stop at nothing to rescue and deliver us from our sins. You remember these words from Hebrews chapter 12? Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Did you know a big part of the joy that Jesus was looking forward to is spending eternity with people like us, people that he laid down his life for, that he loves? Why did Jesus do it? He did it because he loves us. He also did, he passed the test as a pattern for us. Once you've been accepted in the beloved and forgiven and justified by grace through faith in Christ, the temptation of Christ and the life of Christ become a pattern and an encouragement for us. We don't obey in order to be accepted by God, but once we've been loved and accepted by God, our lives can be changed and transformed. We receive a new nature. We receive freedom to obey the law. What do we receive in coming to Christ? The Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that indwelt Jesus. Who encourages and strengthens us. Reminds us of God's promises. The Holy Spirit reminds us that we are under siege. That we are engaged in a spiritual battle every day. That is not primarily with flesh and blood, and part of the pattern that he shows us is that we, we can't surrender to sin. 
No white flags in the battle with sin. Tells us not to listen to the lies of the evil one. Not to give in to the temptation. Because we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. And he also shows us something important about God's word. We need it inside our hearts and lives. Remember the psalmist, Psalm 119? I've hidden your word in my heart, O Lord, why? So that I might not sin against you. I don't know if you've noticed, but over the past several months, we've provided uh, reading guides for people in the South Baton Rouge uh, church family. And it's really just a simple uh, card that says, here's some verses that we could read together. And there are memory verses on those cards. And we're about to print some new ones for the, for the winter and the springtime. And I want to encourage you to take those and use them. This is a charge to myself as much as it is to you. I haven't kept up with the reading. But if the Son of God needed God's Word written in His heart, how much more do we? The last thing that we, we see about why Jesus passed the test is he did it to sympathize with us. You ever met someone who accomplished something incredible? Maybe professionally, maybe on the athletic field, maybe um, musically, and that person is just always annoyed by the rest of us pathetic people who haven't accomplished the same things that he or she has accomplished. I think that a lot of people think about Jesus that way. Yes, he was perfect. Yes, he was special. Yes, he died on the cross and rose again. But he did it all so he can just sit in heaven with his arms crossed and say, what is wrong with those people? Why don't they just get it together? Do you know that the Bible's picture and image of Jesus is actually the exact opposite of that? Think about a Hall of Fame ball player who loves to spend time with children and promote the game and show them how to hold a football. And when they throw it to their friend that's three feet away, he gives them high fives and he cheers for them. One of the reasons Jesus passed the test is so that he can sympathize with us, come alongside us, and help us when we are heartbroken and ashamed because of our sin. Everything that Jesus went through, including this passage in Luke 4, everything he went through was so that he could sympathize with us and come alongside us and help us. He was and is a man and he knows what it's like to be a human being, that we're frail and weak. He remembers our frame. He knows that we're dust. The Lord has compassion on us. We read it already this morning. We do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. Jesus passed the test and it should draw us to him. It's an invitation where he essentially says, I know what you've been through. I know what you're going through. I've seen it all. Come to me and live. 
I have a confession to make this morning. Uh, Sometimes I like to embarrass my children. In fact, I think I'm doing it right now. Um, They have the right to be ashamed of me because I tell dad jokes and I have goofy antics. Um, But have you ever been ashamed of yourself? Or felt so much shame from others and you think, no one's going to be in my corner. There's no way that Jesus Christ would stand beside me. Not after what I've done, not after who I am. Did you know that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that Jesus is not ashamed of you? says it. It's very clear. No matter what you've done, no matter who you are, the Bible says in Hebrews 2 that he is not ashamed to call us sisters and brothers in Christ. Why did Jesus pass the test? Because he loves us, has a pattern for us, and to sympathize with our weakness. It's for us. What better way to remember that this morning than to celebrate the Lord's Supper? Remember the words? This is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. Let's celebrate the reality that Christ. Passed the test, and he did it for us. Let's pray.